continue to try to strengthen our finances, we just ask that you continue to uh, either increase your giving or start giving to Restore if you believe in what God's doing in this place. You can do that online or you can do that on the app, which you can also fill out a connection card on the app. You can listen to sermons on the app if you don't have that already. All right. Back in junior high, I joined the Boy Scouts for a hot minute. Literally, I, I, a hot minute. It didn't last long. Um, I just wanted to learn how to camp. And my parents, my family is not what you would call outdoorsy. Uh, we were just really into sports. Like we just did team sports. That was kind of our thing. And when it come to when it came to like hunting or camping or um, hiking, that was just not something that my family ever did. Not because we didn't like the outdoors. It was just we didn't ever camp. And I really wanted to do that. I wanted to explore and to, and to figure out this this new adventure. And so I figured, well, the Boy Scouts know how to camp. So I joined the Boy Scouts for literally, I think it was three weeks. Um, I joined them strategically because I had a family friend that was a Boy Scout leader. And I'm like, when's the next time you guys are going camping in the winter? Because I didn't just want to camp. I wanted to camp in a tent in January. I wanted to sleep in like sub-zero temps and figure out how do you survive in this kind of environment. And I knew the we- he had told me, hey, we're, our troops going on a, a weekend camp trip this weekend and so like two weeks before that trip I joined like I'm, on, I'm in on Boy Scouts and then I went on the trip and I learned how to like cook our own meals sleep in a tent and survive and tie all kinds of knots that I had no idea what you needed them for um, how to go to the bathroom outside and like leave no trace all this stuff and then as soon as we got back from the trip I quit Boy Scouts because I was like I know how to do everything now I'm good so the next winter, I somehow talked my dad and my brothers into going camping in January in Indiana, just the four of us. And they went with me. We slept in a tent. We survived. And we, it actually became kind of an annual tradition for the four of us. And we'd bring some friends. And we would do it. And my dad, I know he hated it. Like, he would pretend like, yeah. And we did it for like five years. And then he kind of retired. He was like, I'm done with this. Uh, but the camping itch continued through high school, my friends and I, every summer, we would camp out every weekend uh, throughout the summer, and that continued through college. Uh, we would do that when we get off work that weekend. We'd, we'd camp out on our, my friend had this huge property that was wooded, and we'd go like, you know, we'd walk a probably a mile back from his house, and we had our own little campsite back there. And at some point along the way, I don't know when, but the thrill wore off. Like, I, I just got tired of sleeping on the ground in a bag with bugs and snakes and, and, and spiders and mosquitoes and humidity and, I, you know, lack of running water, you know, all of this stuff. Eventually, you're like, I really like a bed, and I really like air conditioning and these types of things. But Carrie really wanted to just take the boys on a camping trip a few years ago, and we we've, we've did it a couple times. But I remember my last camping trip, and it was like three years, two or three years ago with the boys. We went camping in the Shenandoah area, um, packed up the tent, s'mores, firewood, you know, lots of citronella, all that fun stuff, and set the tent up. And, you know, the boys had a blast. I was kind of like, man, I, I don't miss this at all. Uh, but they were having fun, so I was like, I, I'm, I, and I can't say that I was Mr. Positivity. I was pretty grouchy the whole time. Um, <laughs> but at some point, as I was falling asleep that night in the tent, I think it was like 90 degrees with like 100% humidity and I was sweating and I'm like, I really don't want to ever go camping again. And I was really getting close to the breaking point mentally of kind of saying, I'm not ever doing this again. Fell asleep at 4 a.m. 
in the pitch black, out in the middle of nowhere, where no one else around, I heard a man's voice standing outside of my tent say, good morning. And I sat bolt upright in my sleeping bag. And it, to say I was freaked out was an understatement. I mean, I was like, who is out here in the middle of nowhere speaking to me outside of the tent? And it's, obviously, I dreamt it. But I could have sworn that I heard a voice. And Carrie was like, what's wrong? Because I sat up, and I was sitting up for about 15 minutes waiting for something horrible to happen. Um, it, like trying to imagine, like, I don't have anything in this tent to protect myself. Like, there's no club, there's no bat, there's, there's nothing. Um, nothing happened. But I remember even when we were checking in, like, the, the rangers were like, hey, if you see a bear, roll a stone at it. I'm like, a bear? What? <laughs> I'm like, you, I'm throwing stuff at a bear to scare it away? There's, and that was it. I heard that man's voice, and I was done camping. That was it, all right? I love the outdoors. I want to I enjoy the outdoors by day. At night, I want to sleep in a bed with a locking door, air conditioning, running water nearby. And I've, you know, at some point you, in your life, you get, you get to a point where you're like, I'm, I'm done doing that. I, I want, I want the, the, the privilege of sleeping indoors. And that man's voice, whether he was real or imaginary, most likely imaginary, that was the clincher. The voices that we hear can be very influential. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. I want to define specifically holy voices speaking into our life. Uh, when I talk about voices today, I'm talking specifically about people we know and they know us. All right, I'm not talking about Twitter. I'm not talking about news articles. I'm not talking about um, someone you've heard speak who you like, but they have no idea who you are. I'm talking about people that you know and they, and they know you. To be known is something very sacred to the Christian faith. So then we got to ask ourselves, well, who do we listen to? Who are the voices that we let into our hearts and our minds and allow us or, or allow to guide us or to move us um, in, in directions? And I want to read a story from scripture to get us started on the answer to that question. And it's in the book of Acts. It's on page 770, Acts chapter 15. Give you a little context here. Um, it, the book of Acts is the first book that documents the history of the Christian church. So in the very beginning of Acts, Jesus ascends to heaven after his resurrection, and he leaves humanity in the hands of these, uh, these people, these men and women, that he has trained to tell other people about his story. And the book of Acts documents this, and it's a mess. It is an absolute mess. So I find solace in that as a pastor of a church. Like anytime something's going wrong, I'm like, I open a book, book of Acts. I'm like, we're fine. Everything's cool. We're doing all right. Like we're, we're surviving. Um, but it's a mess. And there is a mess for a lot of reasons. But what we're, we're entering in Acts chapter 15 here. We're entering into a mess. The biggest, it's this big movement of Christ's love and truth being extended to all of humanity through Israel. And what it does is it takes um, God's love that was once just reserved for the Israelites, for Jewish people, and it now extends it to the Gentiles, which means it's for everybody. And in the midst of that, there are a number of Jewish people who are clinging to the old ways. They're saying, hey, that's, that's fine. They can be a part of what's going on, but they still have to follow Jewish law. They still got to do circumcision. They still got to do the customs and the traditions and the, and the Levitical laws. 
and it gets to be such so divisive that they have to call the special council in Jerusalem, and some heavy hitters are there. Peter, Paul, Barnabas, James, a lot of early church leaders all meet in Acts chapter 15, and Peter is the first one to speak, and here's what he says, and, and we're going to say, we're going to look at Acts 15, verses 6 through 11. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God? by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Now, to give you a glimpse of the weight and the controversial statement here, imagine sometime in the future that we have a president, a Congress, a Senate, and a Supreme Court that for some crazy reason, unanimously decide we're going to abolish the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, the voting process, the republic that we've known for hundreds of years, we're getting rid of it. And we're going to institute a brand new system that has never been used before in the history of mankind, and we're going to do it now. Imagine how that would go over in, in America after a few hundred years of habits. What Peter is doing is he's doing this to a few thousand years of customs and traditions and rituals. This is unbelievably controversial. This is a huge deal. So why would they listen to Peter's voice? It wasn't because he was perfect. We know that. I mean, we're talking about a man that Jesus once called to his face, Satan. Get, he says to Peter when Peter's annoying him for some reason or other, get behind me, Satan. Um, that would be humbling to have the Lord call you Satan. Uh, he also denied Jesus, denied that Jesus was killed. So he, he was a coward in that moment, not something he was well known for. He was uneducated. He wasn't polished. He was a fisherman who Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So it wasn't because he was successful or educated or perfect or uh, particularly polished. There was some other reason that people listened to him in this moment. And the first and the biggest reason that comes to mind is that Peter's voice carried authority because he had walked closely with Jesus. That's it. That's the only explanation we can come up with that all of these people would listen to his voice. It's because he walked closely with Jesus. And these are the types of people that you want speaking into your life. Not perfect people, but people who are walking closely with Jesus. Not just spiritual people, because that's a big thing now. I'm spiritual. Okay, what the heck does that mean? All right, that doesn't mean anything. Not just religious not just educated or smart or polished uh, or successful. All of those can be mirages to holiness. What we're looking for with voices of influence are, are people who have walked closely with Jesus Christ. That's who we should be listening to. So Carrie and I are going to go to Paris in like two, a little over two weeks. And up here, I'm already gone. <laughs> not really, but I'm excited about it. And I've been to Paris a couple times. She's been before. Um, and there's something unique uh, about this particular trip that, that kind of occurred to me. Um, I haven't um, 
We've, like I said, we've both been there before. I've, I, I've experienced it myself. I've read a lot of Rick Steves. I've read his book cover to cover. I've read a lot of other blogs and articles and, and even history books on Paris. But what I had not done is I had not read about Paris from a Parisian. I wanted to know about Paris from someone who has got Paris like running through their veins. Like that is where they've lived their entire life. So I started looking for a book or something and I found this book called Almost French. It's about this, um, it's written by this Australian freelance journalist named Sarah. She meets this uh, Parisian guy in I think Romania or something and they hit it off. They end up dating, end up falling in love. She moves to Paris and has lived there for I don't know how long, but when she wrote the book, I think she had lived in Paris for seven years. So she wrote this book about what it's like to become Parisian. And I'm fascinated by it. I mean, it's, it's incredible to hear her boyfriend's perspective, Frederick, and to hear her perspective as someone who lived outside of that culture and is now part of it. It's one of the most unique places in the world. It's the most visited city in the world. And already, she, like in chapter three, she was talking um, about this particular cafe. It's called Les Deux Magots. It's a Paris institution, apparently, but I'd never heard of it. I've been to Paris twice. I've read all these books, these blogs, never heard of it. And then she describes how Frederick took her to this place because Hemingway hung out there. And I'm an English nerd, so I was immediately like, oh, I got to go there if Hemingway hung out there. Um, and I have to bring like a journal and a pencil and like wear some sort of like writer's overcoat or something if I'm going in there. I, gotta, I like embrace the character of Hemingway. Um, but she said this, at Frederick's insistence, we ordered hot chocolates, the specialty of the house, he promises. It arrives in two steaming white jugs, and you can tell just from the smell that this is an intense brew made with cream and French chocolate. We fill our cups. The liquid pours slowly like an oil slick of dark molten mousse. I take a mouthful and nearly die of pleasure. Every other hot chocolate I've ever tasted suddenly seems like a powdery imitation. We're going to that cafe. I don't care if it's summer. I'm going there. It can be 90 degrees out. I'm going to have that hot chocolate because a Parisian, someone who had walked the streets of Paris, grown up in Paris, said, you've got to try this. And so that's what we're going to do. Um, I, wanted, I, want, I want that hot chocolate. Are we listening to the voices of people who are closer and more intimate to Christ than we are? Are we listening to those voices? Are we inviting them into the decisions or the tension uh, or the future that we're dreaming about in our life? Because we need to be. We need to lay down whatever, if it's pride, if it's fear, um, whatever it may be that's inhibiting that, lay it down and invite those people to speak into your life and sit at their feet with humility. That's what we've got to do. Now, when you decide to do this, I'm going to give you a few tips. Um, if you invite someone who walks really closely with Jesus, closer than you, to speak into your life, their words and their perspective might or will most likely push beyond the surface level problem, decision, or tension that you're experiencing. You're going to go to them and you're going to ask them, you're going to have some sort of tension or decision or question, and you want a direct answer. I'm 99% sure you will not get a direct answer from them. If they're walking closely with Jesus, they're going to take you beneath the surface of that problem or that question or that tension. And I've been, uh, I've been reading a lot of Henry Nouwen lately. Anybody who knows me, they're like, okay, shocker. Um, he's a Dutch Catholic mystic. 
Uh, he's a priest and a missionary. He passed away back in the early 90s. He's a prolific writer. He shared a story from one of his books um, about when he met Mother Teresa. And I just want to share that with you. I want to read the story of this encounter because I think it encapsulates what it's like for someone who wants specific answers to go to a holy person or someone who we think has a holy voice and, and, and see what kind of response they have. He says, people we meet, some great in the eyes of the world and some almost invisible to the larger society are often conduits of God's wisdom. When I met Mother Teresa during a visit to Rome, I saw immediately that her inner attention was focused only on Jesus. And through him, she came to see the poorest of the poor to whom she dedicated her life. When ordinary social, psychological, or medical questions were brought to her, she did not answer them on the level they were raised. Instead, she addressed them with a divine logic and from a spiritual place and perspective that remains unfamiliar to most of us. That is why many found her way simplistic, naive, and out of touch. Like Jesus, she challenged her listeners to move with her to that place where things can be seen as God sees them and to look beyond the surface to the place of divine encounter. In my case, I had asked her for advice on what to do about my spiritual distractions and temptations. After she listened to my unique complications and elaborate explanations of the trials of my life, she burst my bubble by saying simply, well, when you spend one hour a day adoring your Lord and never do anything which you know to be wrong, you'll be fine. Her response startled me. I had expected her to diagnose and discuss my very pressing questions, but I suddenly realized that I had asked questions from below, and she had given an answer from above, pointing me in the direction of divine presence. She knew that even if I better understood my distractions and problems, something else remained, a call to live closer to the heart of God. At first, her answer didn't seem to fit my questions, but then I began to see that her answer came from God's place of healing and not from the place of my complaints. Getting answers to my questions is not the goal of the spiritual life. Living in the presence of God is the greater call. I read that interaction. I'm like, wow, I need to, I need to hear that. Um, you invite people who walk closely with Jesus in, in, into your life to speak into your life, to listen to their voice. Be prepared to be disappointed or even shocked or startled at their, their words. Uh, they will surprise you. They won't be what you expect Will you have the humility and the patience and the courage to go where those voices lead? So what else about Acts 15 stands out here? All right, in regard to the holy voices that we listen to. Um, I'm going to continue. So we read verses 6 through 11. There are other voices in Acts 15. And it starts in verse 12. I'm going to read verses 12 through 19. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. And he goes on to, we won't read the rest. He goes on to quote the Old Testament. So what we have in Acts 15 are we have other voices. We've got Paul. We've got Barnabas. We've got James. We've got the Old Testament writers being quoted. All of them come from different backgrounds. Peter saw Jesus and immediately followed him, like literally dropped his fishing net to go follow Jesus. Paul was a highly educated Pharisee who spent 
the first part of his life torturing Christians and hunting them down, imprisoning them, and had a dramatic, miraculous encounter with Christ later in his life, became a Christian. James was Jesus' brother, did not like him, thought he was a fraud, until after the resurrection, he became a Christian. So we have these different voices, all coming from different encounters and different perspectives of Christ, speaking into this huge decision. Um, The diversity is powerful. The holy voices in your life need to be diverse. The more diversity in perspectives you have speaking into your life, the more Christ-like clarity you're going to discover. So if the only voices in your life speaking into yours are the same life circumstances, similar age group, similar worldviews, that's a serious problem. You're going to get a very narrow perspective of, of what God wants you to see. So right now I've got men, women, of vastly different ages and experiences, races and backgrounds speaking into my life. I want to hear a diversity of voices guiding me. That's where holiness comes from. And among the most influential voices in my life right now, like people I know, would be my wife, Carrie, who's in her 30s, Uh, my counselor, Eric, who's an empty nester in his early 50s, Um, and then my, I meet with a spiritual director from this, uh, it's an Italian Catholic lady from the school of St. Ignatius. She's in her eighties. These are the people that n- none of them like are friends. They're not my social circle. They all come from different backgrounds, perspectives, age groups, and experiences. And yet God is revealing clarity and there's no explanation other than the fact, oh, it's gotta be the Holy Spirit speaking through them through these diverse, this d- diverse set of voices. And there's more, but those are just three people right now in this, particularly in the last few weeks. And I'm like, oh, and, you know, some, some light bulbs are going off. Um, scripture also reveals there are, there are voices we need to be wary of. So I want to read, I'll put this on the screen, 2 Timothy chapter 4, or as Timothy is actually the correct pronunciation. If you watch Key and Peel, 2 Timothy For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myth. So be it. So, I mean, we can go in a lot of directions with that. I'll go in a couple. Um, Be wary of the voices that tell you what you want to hear. Um, And that's where we want to go, isn't it? We want people to just affirm us and to pat us on the back, you know, give us the encouragement you know, maybe a little Oprah Winfrey quote, you know, whatever, whatever's going to make us feel good. Um, we have to be wary of voices that are going to tell us what we want to hear. What's interesting about Second Timothy is it's a letter written to Timothy from Paul. Timothy's a pastor of this particular church. One major problem they're facing uh, is a group called the Judaizers. These are people that are, again, clinging to Jewish custom and law to the point of they're saying in the church, you can't be a Christian unless you do these Jewish customs and laws and traditions. So he's got these, um, what, what he's got is people who are clinging to their comfort zones and their habits and known quantities. And Paul is like, no, uh-uh, we got to cut that out. Because if you followed Christ for any moment at all, you know that he's constantly dragging us out of our comfort zones, out of our worldviews, out of our assumptions. So we got to be wary. I'm not saying ignore. I'm saying just be wary of the voices who tell you what you want to hear. Um, be wary of the voices that allow you to cling to your comfort zones. 
Um, another thing to be wary of in our culture, because we're all, I think, infused with it, is hyper-individualism. Um, we're born into it. Like that, that's, that blood is running through our veins to just uh, be master of our own fate, to pursue what feels right in our heart, to follow your heart, to do what make, makes you feel good, uh, and, you know, even in our government, to pursue happiness. Like this is, man, this is like enlightenment and individualism for the last few hundred years that has just been you know, shoved into our lives. And these aren't just platitudes. They're anti-gospel. I mean, they're the opposite of what Jesus teaches in Scripture. So if you're thinking about your future, or if you've got a big decision to make, or if there's an area of tension and stress in your life right now, if you're trying to plan the next step, maybe you've got some sin or something that's off that you're like, I need to be healed from this or freed from this, or I need to just confess this to someone, you can't do that alone because that's not Christian. Christianity is a communal faith. And if you're married, you can't do it with just your spouse because theologically you are one. You have to broaden the circle. You have to expand the intimacy. Uh, you have to let more people in and listen to their voices and ask them to speak into areas of your life that, frankly, you're like, I don't know if I, anybody, if I want anybody to speak into this. Uh, maybe it's embarrassing. Maybe you just want control. There's lots of reasons. Um, but we need people speaking into our life. Uh, we can't do this alone. Uh, St. Francis was an Italian Catholic friar in the Middle Ages. His story is pretty well known in our day and age. Um, Richard Foster, he tells a story. I'm going to read another story. Um, of a problem that, a big decision Francis was making in his ministry, and I didn't mark the page, so I'm not going to read that story, um, but I'll tell it to you. Uh, Francis was essentially facing a decision to be a monk, which means to retreat from culture and to just be in solitude and prayer alone, or he, was fa- or he felt like God might call, be calling him to be a missionary and a, and a preacher, someone who teaches others and who is constantly engaged with culture and humanity. And he had no idea what to do. So he wrote to two friends. One was a woman and one was a man. Um, I can't remember. I think one of them was a, uh, I, I can't remember their religious background, but they, they were very different in their backgrounds. He wrote them a letter. Um, they met and they prayed over him. Uh, and then I, I can't remember exactly the, how, you know, how long it lasts or how often, but essentially they revealed, they told him what he was supposed to do. They said, you're supposed to be a preacher and a missionary. And he immediately said, that's the word of the Lord. I will do that. <laughs> he put his entire destiny future in the hands of these two people and responded obediently when they spoke into his life. Prayer is not a private thing. It is something you have to invite other people into. And I have no stats or proof or stories or recent meetings to really back this claim up. But I I would venture to say that most of the people in our church do not do that kind of thing regularly. Do you have people, like do you have gatherings where you share big decisions, tension, and have people actually lay hands on you and pray over you? To me, I think that sounds a little... It may sound a little strange to you, and I think it's rare, but it's something we need in our life. So if you feel stuck, lack of clarity, lack of peace, I don't know what you're waiting for. I would expand that, that circle of intimacy and invite other people into it. Break loose from that hyper-individualism, the pride of privacy, and invite people in and you know, kind of get your communal prayer on. 
because there there's a lot of solid godly people in our church um, who can pray over you. So we're going to get real concrete. Phil and Carrie are going to come up. Um, as they come up, concrete action steps here. I know you may not have a pen, but I know you'll have smartphones. So number one, because um, I like action. I don't really like sitting around and not responding to Christ's movement and the examples he gives us in scripture. I want you, number one, I want you to write down one friend in your life who you sense has a closer walk with Christ than you do. One person that you know and they know you and you just have this feeling that they are closer to him, that they know more, that there's an intimacy there that you don't have maybe right now. I bet we can all think of one. So the next part, write down two more friends that fit that criteria. But this time, one of the, one of the, one of the things is they can't know that other person. Try to think outside of your, your circle so that they're not three people that are all part of the same social circle, that all know each other. Try to think, try to broaden that. Who are two people? They, they may not live close to you. They may be, live across the U.S. somewhere. But diversify. Think of the holy voices and diversify. So one friend that you have has a closer walk with Christ than you, and then two more that fit that, that are just different. You know, maybe it's their background, their ethnicity, their age, their, you know, maybe they're from a different church denomination, just something. Diversify the voices. Now this week, actually make a plan to move on that interaction. I'm not saying you have to like have the meeting this week. I'm not going to ask all of you next week. Like, so did you have the meeting? Three people? Do you have dinner or circle of prayer? But get started on it. Make a plan of like, am I going to email these people? Am I, you know, um, Henry Nowen told a story about he wrote 12 letters to 12 different people about a decision he had to make. uh, Maybe it's a letter, a text, a phone call, an email, coffee with each one of them, a Zoom call if they live across the U.S. and you want like a face-to-face interaction, whatever it may be. Make a plan of action and do it. And uh, see what God does. See what, see what happens when you invite holy voices into your life. Sit at their feet. Lean into the, you know, lean into the, uh, the words that you hear, the prayers that they pray. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that we would do that. I pray that we would be people that invite holy voices into our lives that we would lay down any fear or pride or you know excuse